the word of our Lord from the prophet Ezekiel. And the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. And again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bones to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and flesh came upon them and the skin covered over them, but there was no breath in them. And so he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, O son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as He commanded me, and breath came upon them and into them. And they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. And He said to me, O son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost. And we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. I will place you in your own land And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. The word of our Lord from the New Testament book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, the disciples were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing and mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, 
Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? But others mocked, saying, They're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and hearing of your holy word. Speak to us. O Spirit, would you come? Would you come and burn in our hearts? Burn with a deep, an abiding and all-consuming love for Jesus. Would you wash us and breathe over us? We need you. And so we yield ourselves to your work. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. While in seminary, I believe it was in chapel, Dr. Oswald, our Old Testament professor, stood at the lectern and, or the pulpit and he asked a question. He said, why did Jesus die on the cross? And then he continued his thought and said, please don't answer out loud. See, we think Jesus died on the cross so we can get to heaven one day when we die. And that's part of the gospel. That's part of the good news. Part of what we look forward to. Part of our hope. But Pentecost is what the gospel is all about. It's not some addendum to the cross. Pentecost is the reason for the cross. What is Pentecost? It's kind of one of those odd Christian holidays, and it's actually it actually started as a Jewish holiday, a festival, a celebration, days of party, days of rejoicing in God's faithfulness 
and His goodness and His provision. But Pentecost in the New Testament becomes the birthday of the church. It is the day that the church of Christ was born in this world. And notice how the church was birthed. If you look back at Acts chapter 1, you find that it was birthed as the disciples and those following the way of Jesus gathered together in earnest prayer and fasting. That's how God works. By those who give themselves to Him. By those who surrender themselves to Him. By those who place themselves before Him and fall before Him as their master, as their king, as their victor. Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit. As Bill mentioned in his prayer, Bill, I was listening. We thank you that you make promises to us and that you always keep those promises. Jesus said that the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was the fulfillment of what he called the promise of the Father. This is a promise that dates back hundreds of years before Jesus. It was the promise that the prophets looked toward. It was the promise that the prophets looked out into the future of history and said was going to happen. The promise of a new heart. They called it a heart of flesh. I'm going to take out of you your hearts of stone that are cold and that are hard and that are breakable. And I will put in you a heart of flesh. A new heart that beats for God and for Him alone. The prophets said, you'll not have to teach everyone, hey, you need to love the Lord and here's how you follow Him. You'll know in your hearts how to follow Him. For I will write upon your hearts my covenant, my law, my instruction. And you'll keep it. Because your heart will be for me. It will be turned toward me and it will be consumed by me. The promise of the Father involves a new spirit. A new spirit in general as the prophet spoke of. But the indwelling of God's spirit in particular. You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God were for those that were elite, those who were selected, those who led. The Spirit was for the prophets and the priests and the kings. We read of prophets and priests and kings having the Spirit of God resting upon them. They were God's anointed, God's chosen. But what about the rest of God's people? The writer to the Hebrew said, Oh, there has come to us a promise that the saints of old only heard whispers about. Because Pentecost is about the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in all believers 
in all of His people, in all of those who trust Him and who walk by faith in His Son, Jesus. Jesus said, I'll not leave you alone. I will not leave you abandoned as orphans. I will come to you, but you must tarry and wait. And the Father, to whom I'll pray, will send the Spirit, and we will come in our cleansing presence to you. The prophet Joel, as Peter proclaimed on that first Pentecost morning, declared that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh because Pentecost is for the world. It is for the sake of mankind. It is for any and for all who would trust in Jesus. Scripture presents to us various metaphors for the Holy Spirit. There are three that stand over and against all of the others. The Spirit is like fire. He burns. The Spirit is like water. And He washes. The Spirit is like wind or breath. And He breathes out new life. If you don't recognize from those three kind of odd and very different metaphors... Pentecost gets a bit messy. Which is kind of fitting because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is one you can't contain, one you can't control, one you can't order around. He's a mystery, and he goes where he wants, and is tameable by none. What God gives us are various symbols that point to the reality of who He is and what He wants to do. And this morning in my message, I'll be using various metaphors in this sermon, and so it might get a bit messy. But please try to follow along with me. Why Pentecost? In other words, Why is this God's plan? Put very simply, because it's what we need. God fixes what's broken. And what we need is the renewal of our souls. John Wesley said there's one thing needful, as Jesus acknowledged to Martha, when Mary was sitting in his feet and Wesley proposed that that one thing needful is the renewal of God's image in us. The renewal and the remaking and remodeling of our souls. Jesus proclaimed in the Gospel of John, Come to me if you're thirsty. Come. 
come and find rivers of living water. He appeals to our need. He fixes what's broken. You see, we are Ezekiel's valley of dry bones. We turn from God, each one of us. We've forsaken the one in whose image we've been made. He breathed into us. We became living beings and then we rejected His will for and His word on our lives. And so His Spirit, His breath, left. Not sulkingly, not spitefully, but politely, naturally. And when the Spirit leaves, when the breath is gone, there's nothing left to do but to die. And so the prophet looked out on this valley and he walked among the bones. And he said, well, here we are. A bunch of lifeless, dried up old corpses. No life. No breath. But that's not where the story ends. Because God refuses to quit on us. He is like that great hound of heaven who will not relent in pursuing us. He stays after us. He stays on us. He chases us down. Whether you like it or not, and whether you realize it or not, you're being hunted by the living God. Pentecost is all about God taking up residence in the human heart so that He can fill the human heart with His presence. He's putting down the flag for His kingdom down into the ground of our hearts. It's like God is staking claim to the territory of our lives. And this is really a strategic move on his part. Because what he intends to do is to then expand his command over our lives and then through our lives. You see, God is involved in a great campaign of conquering. It's not so much that God wants control over us as it is that he wants command which in reality are really two very different things I've mentioned last week that I had just finished up a book that Aiden gave me and it was about uh, about World War 1 and other related matters specifically about 
J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and how War I affected their literature and their lives and their legacy. But I've also been watching a program uh, about War II, and David had the unfortunate, uh, fortunate for me, unfortunate for him, uh, uh, joy on my part and purgatory on his part of spending maybe 12 hours in the car uh, headed to a funeral this past week. And so we talked an awful lot, and we talked an awful lot about war. Uh, we talked about World War One and World War Two, and as we talked in our conversation, things would come up, and say so he'd pull out his phone. Christy, you'd be proud of him. He's pulling up on Wikipedia and reading about different battles that we're mentioning, battles that I hadn't heard of, and battles he hadn't heard of, and death counts and all sorts of very interesting stuff and very tragic stuff. But in concerning uh, concerning the Battle of the Somme in France on the Western Front during World War I. Tolkien said something along the lines of, we fought for months just to gain a few inches of ground. That's what war is like. Give God an inch. Really give Him that inch. And He'll eventually take a mile. It might get messy. It might be violent. But that is why there's Pentecost. Because God wants to consume our lives. He wants to consume our hearts. See, there's a twofold meaning of Pentecost. Pentecost is about the reality of presence. God really wants to be in us. He really wants to be with us. Not just in some theological sense, but in a life-transforming sense. The reality of His presence in our lives is what we desperately need. And so Pentecost is about the reality of that presence, but it's also about the purity of this heart. Because Pentecost is about God staking claim to my life so that He can transform my life. So that He can cleanse my life. And He starts with the heart. He starts with the control center. He starts with the core. And he's claiming that territory so that he can expand that territory. I have a serious question for you this morning. We often talk about God reaching others, changing others, transforming our communities, perhaps rescuing our family or friends. Is it possible that we are sometimes cleverly trying to defer His attention away from ourselves? I 
After all, how will God ever change our families? How will He ever change our spouses, our children? How will He ever change our friends, neighbors, our community, if He doesn't first change us? We must let Him or else all will be lost. The matter really is that serious. Eternity rests upon how and to what extent we yield ourselves to the work of God's Spirit. Because the moment we say, no more, Lord, that's it. Is the moment we begin to shut off His ability to work in and through our lives. And that rejection, that obstinance, is a small death that will always, if uncorrected, lead to further deaths. And death will always consume and be victorious in the end. And so our cry must be, Lord, You may have all of me. Whatever You want. Whatever you will, I am completely and unreservedly yours. C.S. Lewis said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what He is doing. He is getting the drains right and Stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed to, be, needed to be done and so you're not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. Does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is, is that he is building a quite different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. See, the problem is, We want God to be a live-in. We want Him to be a roommate. Not a new owner. You see, we want to maintain our status and our identity as landlords. While the rightful Lord 
rents a room in the hostile of our hearts. We are so consumed with ourselves that we don't and we won't trust God with ourselves because we fear He's going to tear everything up. We fear that He'll mess up what we've got going for ourselves. Or perhaps even worse, we fear that we won't have anything left of ourselves for ourselves. But Pentecost offers us the only hope that there is for the world. How do we win back our culture? How do we change our neighborhoods? How do we be, bring peace? How do we avoid war? How do we benefit our neighbors? How do we help the poor? By being consumed by the living God each and every one of us. And so why not be utterly changed into fire? Because fire hurts. It burns. It overwhelms. And it consumes. But fire also purifies. You'll never have pure gold till you've cast it into the fire. You'll never get the wrinkles out of the garment till you've pressed it with steam. I came across a piercing question this week and what a week to come across such a question such a simple question but such a piercing and evaluative question how is the amazing grace of God changing your heart your life and your relationship with other people. Because that's what Pentecost is all about. It's not just a festivity. 
It is the promise of a changed life. It is the promise of hope in this life, in this world. Not just the vague and spineless hope of what might one day come. but the hope of what can be today if we will yield ourselves and say, Lord, you can have the whole house. Consume me. Burn me down if that's what it takes. Flood me with waters. Fill me with your breath. The Lord has given us quite a few metaphors to help us understand what He's got in store for us, what He's up to, what He wants to do in us and through us in the world. He uses these symbols to invite us into the reality of His purifying presence. Our God is a consuming fire. He breathes into us new life, inviting us to sign over the papers of our hearts and to be utterly changed into fire by His Spirit. And Pentecost kind of serves as the opportunity for God to say, here it is. This is what I've got in store for you. Nothing hidden. Nothing secret. Perhaps some mystery perhaps some messiness, but I want to consume your life. Will we give ourselves and say, Lord, it's not much, but I give it all. Would you come and burn it up? Would you come and flood me with water? Would you speak to the wind and breathe into me And make me to rise up. To be numbered among your army. 
to bear the banner of your kingdom to stake out more ground. Let's pray.